0: And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by.
1: Granger, for the ones who get it done. Richard
0: Sarrett's Strange Planet, following the truth wherever it leads, exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality coming to you from the great white north and his studio beneath the stairs here's Richard hey welcome to another edition of strange planet thanks as always for sticking me in your ear on this edition Egypt's mysterious first female pharaoh the crocodile queen and we're going to get into that right now with Andrew Collins who is a popular writer of history, archaeology and uh, science. He investigates advanced civilizations in prehistory and as the co-discoverer of a massive cave complex beneath the Giza plateau now known as Collins Cave, he's the author of several books including Origins of the Gods and Göbekli Tepe: Genesis of the Gods. He regularly appears on radio shows, podcasts and TV series including Ancient Aliens, The Unexplained with William Shatner and Gaia TV's Ancient Civilizations and Deep Space. He joins us from his home in beautiful Essex, England. And the new book is The First Female Pharaoh, Sobekneferu, Goddess of the Seven Stars. Andrew, good to see you again. Welcome.
1: Oh, yeah. Yes. Good to be here.
0: Why do we know virtually nothing about Egypt's first female pharaoh you'd think that'd be a pretty big deal the first pharaoh of the or the first female pharaoh of the uh, The United uh, Kingdom of the uh, lower and upper uh, Egypt kingdom uh, Why do we know so little about her?
1: Uh, quite simple. put simply her story was suppressed um, By those that followed her um, Because she lived in a very tumultuous period of egyptian history Um, It was at the end of what had been a very successful dynasty, um, which was the 12th, um, which basically ended what's known as the Middle Kingdom. Again, pretty successful period of, um, of history. And what happened was that her father had reigned for about nearly five decades. And he was, you know, the most victorious of all of the kings of that dynasty. And he had three siblings that we know three that certainly play a role. There are others that unfortunately would seem to have died quite young, but they were Sobek Nofru, her brother, Amenemeth the fourth, and her sister, uh, Nefertar. Nefertar would seem to have been uh, from a different mother. But anyway, at the end of her father's name, his name was Amenemeth the third. Basically he was lining up his, what would appear to have been his eldest daughter. Now, this wasn't Sobek Nufri, This was Nefertar, to rule the country. And even by this time, um, her name was appearing inside a cartouche. Now, that means that you you rule the country. Um, and this was absolutely unique, not just because nobody before this time had um, had, had that on her, but she was a woman. So quite clearly... Um, Amenemet the third was preparing for a woman to take over the country, but just to sort of back things up, she was going to rule the country with her brother Amenemet the fourth. Now, they would seem to have been half brother and half sister, but then both the elderly king and Nefertar disappear basically, they die. Um, and Armin IV takes over, and he rules for about nine years. And it would seem as if Sobek Nofru comes into the fray at this time. Prior to this time, it would seem that her life was destined for something else, something more magical, more spiritual, to do with a temple. I I suggest that it was probably a temple to do with the goddess Hathor. Um, And then what happens suddenly is that she takes the throne after her brother again mysteriously disappears. Um, his, his reign ends, nobody knows exactly what happens to him. And she rules for four years. Um, and during this period, a lot of things change in Egypt. Both her father and her brother were very progressive in their views to do with politics and allowing people to enter into their country from, for the most part, at Canaan to the north what is today the Levant so these were almost exclusively Semitic peoples um, and they were allowed to settle uh, get jobs to you know to, to rise to quite you know quite high authority in in, in various cases they were also uh, involved with things like the army you know, the Navy uh, they would have obviously been servants and things like this but they were gradually becoming more and more influential in the country and when her brother took over the country, He extended this um, this open border policy even further. And what would appear to have happened is that a lot of people started to realise this was not good for the country and that if we continue to allow this, the country will fall, quite literally. Um, And it would seem, and this is what I, I suggest, and this is based not just on my ideas, but a number of different Egyptologists who have tried to tackle this, this diff- difficult period, is that, they would, that, that certain factions would seem to have appealed to Sobek Nofru, who was probably unofficially ruling with her brother. I mean, there's nothing to say that she, she was officially ruling with him, but it does seem as if they were quite close uh, during the early stages of his reign. And basically, I think that they came to her and said, look, country's going wrong um if we support you um you know would you change what's going on we'll take care of your brother um you know either directly or indirectly with with her help um and you know you will then become um you know the the, the king female king of upper and lower egypt the first ever woman um and you know we'll be behind you so to speak And this is exactly what would appear to have happened. So the open borders policy and the quite progressive politics of her brother and before her her father were changed. And she closed the borders. She stopped a lot of trading um, outside of Egypt. Uh, A lot of things stopped at her time simply to try and um, shelve up everything that was going on. But the problem, and and she changed the the religion as well, because it was quite clear that throughout the 12th dynasty, the god Sobek, who was the crocodile god, was coming to fore uh, and becoming more important than virtually every other god, in fact, to the point of being a state god. And what she did was to virtually create a monotheistic religion surrounding Sobek, which, of course, her own name, her own personal name, um reflected you know the her own personal interest and the fact that she ruled as a personification or a representation of this particular god and what she did was i think to try and keep control of the country was to create this huge great structure which we know today as the egyptian labyrinth this was in the area which is about 60 miles to the southwest of cairo at a place called the fayum the fayum oasis which has this huge great, you know, inland sea, uh, which was linked to the Nile by by canals. And this had been set up as a, as the new centre of Egypt, quite literally the centre, the absolute point of coming together of upper and lower Egypt. And she commanded the priests of every single um, one of the districts of Egypt, to which there were forty two, to come to the labyrinth every year to pay their respects to Sobek as the living spirit of their own god in other words they all had their own separate gods which were probably very ancient but she said no 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 they're all just the spirit the spirit of the crocodile god Sobek you know is 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 what motivates them it's the power behind them and you have to come here to make offerings to Sobek So this is what she tried to do. She tried to change a lot. And she also created the next dynasty that would follow her. And it's important to point out that there wasn't just one, but two dynasties would seem to have started during her reign. One was the 13th, which was very nationalistic, um, you know, was into the sovereignty of, of Egypt and keeping that. And they, many of the kings of that reign, of that particular dynasty called themselves um, um, the servants of Sobek, um, Sobek Hotep, and they started, even after her death, a, a cult in her name, so they obviously were very loyal to her, whereas a separate dynasty also started off, which would seem to have been loyal to her brother and her brother's memory called the 14th dynasty, and they were mostly Semitic-based. The kings were Semitic-based. They were based in the area of the country, which was the Delta, which was the the main Semitic area where most of the people coming in from Canaanite had settled. And basically, after this time, Egypt did fall apart in an age known as the Second Intermediate Period. And these warlords came in, took over the country, who we remember under the name the Hyksos or the Shepherd Kings, and they trashed the place, basically, um, and they left in power a puppet regime, the 13th, which had its base of operations in the south of the country, in Thebes, and they were considered to be quite weak and wouldn't do anything, and they just were allowed to uphold the Egyptian traditions. But what happened was that they kept alive the the, the sort of The baton of of sovereignty of Egypt, which they eventually passed on to their successors, which was the 17th dynasty. I know it's a little confusing. And they would eventually rise up against the Hyksos and throw them out of Egypt. And thus began the new kingdom of Egypt, beginning with the 18th dynasty, which was the, the, the great triumph of ancient Egyptian civilization. And, you know, from that, we have all the great kings, you know, like Moses, Akhenaten, Tutankhamun, um, Hatshepsut, who was female, Pharaoh will come on to her. Um, And, you know, everything went back to normal, so to speak. But without her reign and without what she did and without the death of her brother, I think that Egypt would have fallen and at best become another vassal state of Canaan, which at that time was incredibly powerful and prosperous. And although it was, um, you know, still under the, the influence of Egypt, it was something that quite clearly without the influence of Egypt would have grown even more powerful.
0: So Beknaferu, um there's a, um, we were talking about how so little is known of her. Uh, there is, I think a statue of her in the Louvre in Paris, but it's only right. her torso. Yeah. Um, and it's it's kind of unique in that most uh female pharaohs i suppose aside from cleopatra were portrayed as very masculine yeah and yet sobek Neferu kind of embraced her femininity talk about that
1: well i mean she embraced both femininity and um you know a, a male persona as well um and yeah this was it it's it's because if she was as we suspect, the first proper king, both of Upper and Lower Egypt, um, then how she ruled would have been something that most people wouldn't really have understood. In other words, they wouldn't have known whether to address her as a man or woman, um, how she, how her statues were to be shown, whether her uh, her inscriptions could be, you know, with male emphasis or female emphasis, and so you've got a mixture of bugs. Um, you know, her statue seemed to be a mixture of femininity and male, um, and her inscriptions seemed to swap back and forth between being addressed as a male and addressed as a female. Um, and what's interesting is that the, essentially this was exactly what, what happened again with the the, the female pharaoh Hatshepsut in the 18th dynasty, who, by the way, would seem to have modelled her entire reign on Sobek Nofru. There's no question that Hatset should, you know, saw Sobek nofriway as some kind of spiritual mentor. I mean, obviously, you know, her memory or her presence or whatever it was and copied her statuary and also copied inscriptions um, that were found on her sarcophagus as well, which is a very, very interesting story in its own right. But basically, you know, the, the ancient Egyptians, found it difficult to understand how they should address a woman in charge of the country. But quite clearly, you know, these pioneering women achieved this um, and paved the way, obviously, for much later, um, you know, female rulers, including, of course, Nefertiti, who would seem to have ruled for a couple of years after the death of her husband Akhenaten. Uh, He obviously created this massive monotheistic religion, uh, which eventually failed, and then obviously the, the the Ptolemies, of which the most famous um, female ruler was, of course, Cleopatra the seventh. Um, and you know, so they were they they were trailblazing. They were pioneers for women, and I mean, you know, they clearly were controlling huge areas of the ancient world, um, and. The fact that all of this seems to start with um, with Sobek Nofru, I think, is something that should be celebrated from the point of view of women. And, you know, because it, it started with her. I mean, some people might say, well, hold on. You know, I've heard that there was a few female rulers before Sobek Nofru. Well, there were, but they were only ruling because their husbands were out or were away in wars or that, you know, Her husband had died and they were regents or something like this. Sobek Nofri was the first one to actually wear the crowns of upper and lower Egypt. You know, the two parts of Egypt, the southern part, the northern part, united together. Um, And the problem for her is that all of her good deeds were completely shunned by later, um, you know, pharaohs and the Egyptians as, as, as a whole, because for some reason, After the end of the second intermediate period, her name seems to disappear. I mean, she's mentioned on some um, king lists. So, you know, she's not entirely a sponge from records, but others completely miss her. Um, You know, her name is not there. I mean, for instance, um, if you go to Abydos in southern Egypt, um, there is um, a, a relief on the wall showing the, uh, the Pharaoh Seti the first, showing his son Ramesses, who is the future Ramesses the He's sort of like raising his arm and showing all the kings that have ruled Egypt up to this point. And, you know, you have all these cartouches and they come to and include Sobek Nofru's brother, Aminemek the fourth. Then there's there's no Pharaoh at all until the beginning of the 18th dynasty, the beginning of the new kingdom. They're all missing. Right. Now, I understand why most of the ones from the second intermediate period are missing because most of them ruled just for a few weeks, few days, a couple of months, you know, a couple of years, whatever it was, and could easily be forgotten about, you know. And obviously, there's a whole confusing array of dynasties in this period. But why should she be missing? There's no reason why she should have been missing unless they blamed her for the onset of this dark age of Egyptian history, which I think is exactly what happened. And also, the thing is that when she died, um, it would seem as if there were two pyramids prepared originally for her and her brother, and that these are at a place called Mezguna, which is just to the south of the pyramids of Dashur. Now that's the bent pyramid and the red pyramid, and also the black pyramid, which actually uh, was for her father, the third. But both of these these pyramids at uh, Mezguna were destroyed in antiquity for some reason. Now, the one for her brother does seem to have had a burial in it. it, and it may or may not have been him, not sure, because there's evidence that it was robbed, you know, at an early day. But nobody was ever buried in the one that was prepared for her, which was Mezguna North. And so it's quite clear that she never made it to her her pyramid so she was clearly buried in secret by her supporters um, at the point of her death and we don't know where she was buried and to be honest the Egyptians themselves didn't know where she was buried even by the early stages of the 18th dynasty that you know during the new kingdom because people were looking for a tomb and going to random tombs from her period and saying well maybe it was this one and, and leaving messages there so you know it's clear that even by within, of, say, three or four hundred years of her of her death, nobody knew where she was buried, and this makes her story such an enigma. And I think that this is why, and obviously we'll come on to this, why her her story has almost come to its fore through the back door of history in a way, because unlike the other female pharaohs, such as Hatshepsut, you know. Um, uh, uh, Nefertiti Cleopatra, who we know an awful lot about. With Sobek Nofru Re, it's only been almost like fringe elements of, of the Egyptological community, um, his you know, historians who have really taken an interest in her. I mean, for instance, this happened in the 19th dynasty, sorry, the 19th dynasty the 19th century, in 150 years ago, where a particular Egyptologist named Heinrich Bruges started to write about her, realized that the kings of the 13th dynasty were all named Sobek. So clearly they were following in her footsteps and honored her. Um, and he said that clearly she was she'd revived some kind of cult that she, you know, she was very, very important for a whole dynasty to basically deify her after her death. These stories were picked up on by uh, a more speculative historian by the name of Gerald Massey, who wrote a series of books on ancient history and ancient mythologies and whatever, where he realized that, she, that her main god was Sobek, the, the crocodile god, an extremely ancient you know, god, whose mother, by the way, is the hippopotamus um, goddess Neith, a very, very ancient goddess of, of ancient Egypt, who would seem to have been also very important to, to Sobek Nofru. And basically, he said she revived this very, very ancient cult that clearly continued on long after her death and probably continued on uh, even beyond dynastic history. And what's so interesting about this is that I, um, the the Irish writer Bram Stoker would seem to have picked up on these stories and decided to feature Sobek Nofru Ray as the antagonist in his Egyptian novel called *The Jewel of Seven Stars*, which was published in 1903, um, and this is a story where basically these these you know, British Egyptologists go to Egypt, they find this tomb, they they bring back the the coffin to to the UK, and you know they do this ritual, and this Egyptian royal female you know appears, and she wreaks havoc and eventually disappears. And I mean, this story was considered to be so shocking to the post Victorian audience, which it was aimed at, because it was 1903, just after the, the Victorian age, that the publisher said to Bram Stoker, you've got to change this for future editions. But the thing is that we know Sobek Nofru, but through different names, because so many horror films that have been made since that time that feature a theme, a royal. Female, Egyptian female coming back from the dead are all based on Bram Stoker's book. You know, right the way through to 2017's The Mummy, yes. um, you know, featuring Tom Cruise, um, starring Tom Cruise, I should say. I mean, that is it's it's you know, that was based on Bram Stoker's book. Um and you know, and what's quite clear is that the makers of these films have done their homework and realized. That it can only be based on Sobek Nofru because of the, the time frame involved. And so they give little nods to her as you know as, as the film you know proceeds with its storyline. You know, the script writers. So, you know, that this in other words, we know of Sobek Nofru re I say n- read up often that her that the the re is put at the end of her name. Um and so in other words, we do know of her, but not by her name. Um And the other interesting thing is that in the occult world, she is incredibly important. Um, There was a writer and researcher by the name of Kenneth Grant that wrote three trilogies of books on the origins of of magic going back to ancient Egypt and beyond to Africa and voodoo and whatever. And he basically looked at Sobek Nofru, having read the, the works of Gerald Massey and Heinrich Bruch, and basically realized that she was an incredibly important person to the foundations of, you know, the the, the magical tradition, the Western magical tradition, and that she should be honored in this manner. Um, So she features in his book, and he also says, you know, she's quite clearly Bram Stoker's Queen Tira, who is the name of the antagonist in The Jewel of Seven Stars.
0: All right, Andrew, we'll take a quick time out and uh, come back and continue to delve into the uh, the life of the first female pharaoh, the Crocodile Queen. Andrew Collins stays with us. It's time to redefine reality. Reality. This is Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Andrew Collins is with us, and the book is The First Female Pharaoh. The Turin Canon, Sobek is mentioned in the 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 the, uh, the Turin Canons. What, what are they?
1: Or what is it? Well, the, the, the Turin Canon um, is a list of kings that was written on papyrus. Uh, I think during the reign, if I remember rightly, of Rameses III. I think he's in the 19th dynasty. Um, and... It was found in, in Egypt um, and brought back to Italy. But unfortunately, by the time it reached um, its destination and they unpacked it, it was in pieces. I mean, lots of pieces. And from that time onwards, which was the, end of the 19th century through to the, the, the present day, Egyptologists have been trying to piece it together and there's still debate about you know which bits go where and whether this refers to that king or this king or whatever. And the reason why it's important to this story is because some people will, will will hold up their hand and say, well, hold on. You know, you're saying that this woman was 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 in the 12th dynasty. She ruled around um, 1800 B.C. There was another female king called nitocris who ruled in the 6th dynasty. So that would take us back to about, you know, 2100, 2200 B.C. I mean, surely she's the first female pharaoh the problem with this um and this is where the turing canon comes in is that recent reassessments of of the evidence that people use for the existence of this particular female um you know uh, king pharaoh have now fallen apart an egyptologist by the name of kim Ryholt. Uh, published a really important paper in the year 2000, which you can read about in in the wiki page for Nitochris, that basically says that the person that they thought was a a female pharaoh is, in fact, a man. And, you know, one that we already know about and one that's already recorded his deeds and whatever, and that she can't possibly be that. Well, Nitochris herself is talked about in the works, not of ancient Egypt, but in the Greek tradition, and in particular within the writings of Herodotus. Now, Herodotus is considered to be the father of history, writing about 450 B.C. And he talks about Nitocris and what the story that he gives is that her brother, the king, that's that's the term, her brother, the king was murdered. And that she took revenge on those who um, who, who who were you know conspired to, to, to commit this murder, um, and the the story is that she got them all in for a big banquet, and then allowed the waters of the Nile to come in through a channel and drown them all. But it then says that after this, she then so that she herself didn't suffer the same sort of retribution, she went into this room full of hot ashes and killed herself. In other words, committed suicide. Now, this is a a very bizarre story which needs a lot of unpicking. I mean, firstly, um, I propose in the book that it was, you know, the people supporting her that killed her brother. Um, and if that's the case, why would she be killing them? You know, why would she be, you know, holding them, um, you know, to account for actually, you know, doing this crime. Well, the answer is she didn't. I mean, what was quite clear is that her brother was killed and she blamed whoever she wanted. And this was a way of just getting rid of anybody who supported her brother, um, you know, so that they wouldn't cause problems during her reign. Um, So they almost certainly were put to death. I don't think for a second that, that they were drowned by... You know, Walters coming in for the, the Nile. This seems to be a story that's related to the Egyptian labyrinth, and the fact that it was at the end of a of a canal that came in from the Nile, which had been cleared um, in a huge engineering project during the time of her father, Amenet the um, and probably you know completed you know during her the reign of her brother and hers as well. So, in other words, there's a confusion come in as to, to, to you know, how these people died. But then you have this story about her, you know, going into this room with hot ashes so that, and that, that she herself doesn't suffer the same type of retribution. What's all that about? Well, I think that this is a very distorted memory of her, her committing suicide via some kind of ritual death involving hallucinogens that would have been burned through hot ashes, you know, in other words, burning of incense. Plus I suspect that there would have been the ingestion of, you know, psychoactive substances as well. And that, you know, this allowed her transition, if you like, from this world into the afterlife. In other words, people were coming for her. She was probably going to be murdered anyway or paraded around or whatever, uh, and she thought the best thing to do to save the country and allow the next dynasty to take over was to take myself out of the picture. Um, so she committed ritual death. And what's interesting here, of course, is that this is exactly what happens to Cleopatra the seventh. You know, she also commits a ritual death. You know, what we'd call suicide. And the story about her of, of Cleopatra you know, having this this snake that's brought in in a a, a basket of of fruit and, you know, it's then allowed to bite her and it's poisonous and it kills her. That's simply a symbolic story relating to how she died because a snake is a symbol of the goddess uh, Isis to which Cleopatra was devoted to. And Isis was the goddess of medicine and magic. In other words, she was the one that, that, that had all the knowledge of, you know, plant medicines and drugs and stuff like this. So in other words, it's a metaphor, really, for the use of drugs to die. And, um, you know, scholarly work has been done on what might have happened to Cleopatra. And they have now concluded that almost certainly she would have taken a, a cocktail of drugs that would have been psychoactive in, in nature.
0: So, so Bekna Ferru, uh, she reigned for four years Um, do we know how old she was at the time of her death?
1: Well, I mean, as I said, she had two siblings, um, what would appear to be an older sister who clearly was going to rule ahead of her, who was Nefertar. She dies between the age of probably about 16 to 18. And once she's, you know, out the way, her brother, who seems to be a half brother, who is the IV, becomes the king. He becomes pharaoh of Egypt, and he rules for about nine years, basically. Now, I think that Sobek Nofru took on the role that her sister was going to play. Now, whether she did this officially or unofficially, we don't know. There's, there's nothing in the records you know nothing that's been found so far to suggest it, but the implications are particularly from, let's say, the Nitocris story, because I show that there's absolute evidence that Sobeknofru Rey is Nitocris. She's the real Nitocris, and that the story of Nitocris in Herodotus relates to the Middle Kingdom. It relates to the Twelfth Dynasty, and not anything to do with the Sixteenth. This is a complete misnomer. Um, and well, one that's that's borne out by, as I said, that the work that's been done by Kim Ryholt, the, Ar- the Egyptologist. But basically, she then, I think, starts to rule with her brother. Now, at this point, she can only be quite young. I mean, she's certainly no um, older than her sister, so she could be 16 to 18, let's say. So if you put another decade on that, she's going to be in her late 20s. So I think probably by the time that she dies... She's in her early uh, thirties.
0: She died childless though, correct? Like why, why? Well, again, is this, is, this is, this is, this is why an would-
1: interesting story because the first two um, kings of the 13th dynasty who unquestionably supported her, Kim Ryho has suggested were the sons of Amenemeth the fourth. In other words, her brother. And if she killed her brother, then why would it be that these two young children would end up supporting her unless A they didn't know that her that that you know that their surrogate mother was um was 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 involved with his death or they accepted that it was the right thing to do. In other words, you know they were maybe um you know indoctrinated into you know her ideas and why you know the death of their father had to happen. But whatever the answer, they become the first two kings. And, you know, both of them have names um, which uh, have within them the god Amun. And, of course, the brother and father of of Sobek-Nasru Re also had names involving the god Amun, who was the patron god of Thebes. Their name was Amun-Emhat. And various of the other kings of the 12th dynasty also had a name meaning Arman Hemat. Sorry, you know, had the same name. So, you know, in other words, you know, the, the, the cult of Arman was obviously considered to be very special and important to this particular dynasty. But as I said, Sobek Nofer herself seems to have brought to the fore the god Sobek and, you know, made him virtually the state god and created a monotheistic religion very similar to how Akhenaten with his wife Nefertiti tried to create their own monotheistic religion uh, several hundred years later. And of course that failed and the son of, 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 of um, Akhenaten and Nefertiti would seem to have been Tutankhamun who obviously we, we know about. and we know, you know a lot about that particular period because of the discovery of Tutankhamun's tomb.
0: All right, another time out.
1: We'll be back in a moment.
0: Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. And we are here with Andrew Collins, science and history writer investigating advanced civilizations and the latest book is The First Female Pharaoh, Sobekneferu, Goddess of the Seven Stars. Where is that available, Andrew? How do we get a copy?
1: Uh, you can get it to any online bookstore, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Simon and Schuster, published by Inner Traditions International. Um, And uh, if people are interested in this, then there's more material on Sobek Nofru on my website, andrewcollins.com, which also have all my social media links.
0: Can you uh, briefly give us kind of an overview of Sobek Neferu's role in the biblical story of Joseph?
1: Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is, this is very interesting. I mean, obviously, the, the Bible, most people will see as, you know, a, a fiction, if you like, or at least, you know, parables or made up of composite characters or whatever. But I mean, there's no question that a lot of the um, the people of the book of Genesis almost certainly are based on real individuals that that existed. And one of them, of course, is Joseph. Now, we know him of the technicolored coat and the story of his brothers abandoning him you know leaving him to die Uh, he sold into slavery into Egypt where he becomes a servant of a household um, and the 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 wife of of the 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 man of the house accuses him of coming on to her it's false but he gets thrown into prison but uh, he has this reputation for being able to interpret people's dreams Uh, and the the king you know the pharaoh um, has these dreams about these, these, these seven fat cows and seven, you know, not very fat cows. And, you know, he, he's asked to interpret this. And he basically says, look, there's a, there's a famine on the way. You've got to stock up with with your grain now um, because there'll be a seven years of famine. And, of course, that's exactly what happens. And because of this, Joseph rises to become the most important person in Egypt other than the the, the king himself, the vizier. Um, and this is the story that the Bible gives us. And there is absolute evidence to suggest that Joseph was a real person and did live in Egypt during the reign of Sobek Nofru's father Amenemet III. And according to Arab sources, which were based on much earlier Coptic traditions, which you know were Christian but probably came from earlier Semitic, you know, in other words, Hebrew stroke Israelite sources in Egypt, you know, pad out this story more, and they say that Joseph was involved with engineering projects in the Fayum to not only cut a canal between the the Nile and the Fayum lake, which in ancient times was known as Lake Morris, but also that he built a palace for Pharaoh's daughter. Now, everything that's talked about Pharaoh's daughter has led me to conclude that this is unquestionably Sobek Nofru. um you know the fact that you know he's he's there he exists at the time of her reign and my colleague david Roll, an egyptologist um himself wrote you know uh, an entire book talking about joseph and showing that he was a real person during the time of amenemhat the, the third um you know her father and that he continued to exist as he continued to live through the reigns of Amenemek IV, Sobek Nofru, and possibly even into the reigns of the first couple of kings of the 13th dynasty. So he was around. And so we have to look at the possibility that Sobek Nofru knew Joseph. And what the Bible tells us is that Joseph was aligned to the temple of the sun god Ra at Heliopolis. Um, and we know this because his master, when he was a servant, would seem to have been, um, you know, the high priest of Heliopolis, which was known in the Bible as On, just O N. Um, so, in other words, if Joseph has become vizier, then he's quite clearly linked to the temple of Ra at Heliopolis, which is, to, you know, somewhere that's very close to Cairo. Now, the importance of this is that that Sobek Nafru's brother, Amenemet IV, aligned himself not with Sobek, not with the Fayum, but with the Semitic peoples, the, the, the temple of Heliopolis and Ra. In fact, he made the form of Ra, the creator god form of Ra, which was Atum, his own personal god. And it would seem that he was preparing to create his own kingdom outside of Egypt in what is today the Sinai. Um, uh, based around this this cult center called Salabat El-Kadam which was um dedicated to a goddess uh, called Hathor who i think was very important to Sobeknofru ray by the way um and that the 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 significance here is that the Heliopolitan priesthood unquestionably were very sympathetic to the incoming semitic peoples in other words they they you know they embraced them in, in a progressive way. So that if they had this power when Sobek Nofru's brother was um ruling the country, and suddenly this was taken away from them when she came to the throne, because she obviously installed the god Sobek and his priesthood as as the you know the, the main men of the country, then quite clearly they'd have been, you know, they wouldn't have been happy about this. And I think that there's good evidence that to suggest that the people that were gunning for her was the Heliopolitan priesthood they were the ones that wanted to get rid of her and one of the reasons why i think that they they got some support was because we know that in the 3rd year of of Sobek nofru's reign there were incredibly low floods in egypt um now what this means is that the 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 inundation the yearly inundation that, you, that would take place of the the waters coming down from Ethiopia, flooding down through Sudan into Egypt, um, you know, these melt waters, plus also moon, um, monsoon waters that, that would that would flow in. Some years they would fail. Um, and the third year of her reign, we don't know about the first, the second, the fourth, but in the third year, they were very low. Now, this causes great problems because it means that, the, 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 the waters don't overflow the low lying lands in the Nile Valley that bring the rich nutrients um, in the mud that settles, that allows the seeds to grow with the crop the following year. In other words, it will cause a famine. And in ancient Egypt, this was blamed on the Pharaoh. And if they didn't sort it out, then quite clearly they, the tides would turn against them. And it's even been suggested by some Egyptologists that during this period, a pharaoh would commit suicide if the floods failed. In other words, they realized that they were going wrong that somebody else had to rule the country and that they would take themselves out of the picture. So I think that this is one of the pieces of evidence that tells us why. Sobekneferu Ray would have herself committed suicide. Now, uh, in large measure,
0: thanks to your your help, and Sobek Neferu has returned to sort of popular consciousness. Uh, has 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 this um, created greater interest among Egyptologists, uh, traditional Egyptologists, alternative Egyptologists, to explore her? Her life further for example do you think there'll be a maybe now a concerted effort to try and locate where she's buried
1: that's a very nice thought but the i mean the facts are the facts and that's my background is journalistic i am not an academic i'm not a scholar um and because of that my work the work that you you know we're, we're promoting here now is essentially going to be ignored by Egyptology. I mean, some of them will be will be curious and they'll want to read it, of course, or flick through it, particularly if they've got an interest uh, in this period of Egyptian history. But I know from, you know, the fact that the publishers have tried to interest certain um, Egyptologists in perhaps you know giving it a quote or a review or whatever that they want to avoid it like a barge pole, basically, as far as they're concerned. Yeah, you know, this has come from outside of their own close community, so you know it's meaningless. Do you have any
0: thoughts on where Subek Neferu may be, may have been laid to rest?
1: Yes, I do. I mean, people have suggested she could be uh, in you know some you know, one or other of the pyramids that we don't know who that they were created for could be one of hers. Now, this could have been reappropriated. They could have been left empty or whatever. But the suggestion is she could have been buried at Saqqara, which is very close to the old ancient capital of Memphis. She could have been buried in Dashur. There's a couple of pyramids there that people are not sure who was buried in them. But I think that she was probably buried close to where she ruled from. And when I say ruled from, I mean from a personal level. I mean, the, the main capital at this time was on the Nile, but this was like the official place, you know, where where kings ruled from. Um, she herself would seem to be much more strongly associated with the Fayum, which was to the west of the, you know, the, the main place of rule, um, and was connected with the palace there, connected with the temple of, of Sobek, connected with the lake, connected with this strange temple on the north side of the Faum called Kazarel Saga. Uh, which seems to be aligned to stars associated with, um, with Sobek. Um, and I think that she's somewhere in that area, in the Northern Thale, In You know, I think that she was either buried in a seat, in a tomb that was probably dug for somebody else and probably was waiting for its burial. Um, and she's either there or unfortunately at some later point, that tomb was robbed and any real memory or evidence that she was placed in it, I think has probably been lost. I hope that's wrong, of course. And, you know, we're going to Egypt in uh, November. If people are interested in that, we're doing a tour. Myself, Hugh Newman and Megalithomania, all details on andrewcollins.com or Megalithomania website. Um, And we're going to be looking at this very question on the tour. You know, where is Sobek Nofru buried? You know, Can we find more clues? Um, Is there anything that I've missed, for instance? Um, And, you know, so this is a quest in its own right. You know, where is she now? And all we can say is that she's certainly coming back into popular consciousness. And by virtue of that, you know, she's achieving the immortality that perhaps she was denied at the end of her own life. I mean, if we look at, let's say, Tutankhamun, before Tutankhamun was found, his tomb in 1922, we knew essentially nothing about Tutankhamun. But after the tomb was discovered, he becomes arguably the most famous pharaoh of the whole of, of ancient Egypt. And does that in itself create immortality? You know, in other words, has he achieved what he wanted to do? His tomb being found intact. Everybody knows about him. He'll never, ever be forgotten about. Is is that what a immortality is? And if that is the the case, then with Sobek Nofru Ray, she's been denied this for 3,800 years. But now, for the first time, she's coming back into popular consciousness. She's you know, quite literally, you know, rising from the dead, and maybe one day she will achieve that immortality that the ancient Egyptian pharaohs desired. So desired.
0: Andrew Collins, the author of the first female pharaoh, Sobekneferu, goddess of the seven stars. Andrew, thank you so much. Great to see you again.
1: Thank you very much, family. A new Richard a Strange Planet drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday.